0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: hello and welcome to another episode of the behind the line podcast where we discuss all things related to the super retriever series Hey everybody, I'm your host, David Hamilton, and today we have a guy who's been around the SRS for quite some time. This is, uh, our guest today would be Rody Best. So, super excited to have him here on the podcast and talk to him about his career as a professional dog handler and his experiences with the SRS. Now, before we get started with Rody we do want to take a moment to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Eukanuba, the Super Retriever Series Crown Championship, and this behind-the-line podcast series – are both brought to you by Yukonuba, the leader in premium nutrition for sporting and working dogs. And uh, my guest today, like some of my previous guests, knows quite a thing or two about sporting and working dogs because that is his profession. Roadie Best from Best Retrievers. For those of you that have been competing or watching the Super Retriever Series, uh, he's probably a very familiar name to you and we're we're super excited to have him here on today 's episode Rody, thanks for taking a few minutes to to chat with us
2: oh david man i'm i'm super excited I, I appreciate you having me i've been listening for the last year and enjoying all of the the commentary from the different people you all have had on it's been enjoyable
1: yeah man i got to be careful though because we just recently had the uh, super retriever series uh television show on the discovery channel and uh you know, we had some of uh, the I was in the studio work and, and you obviously last year were, were actually out at the event uh, along with with Jay Paul um, doing some of the on site live stream uh, broadcasting there. And, man, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to take my job here pretty soon. You did a really <laughs> nice job um, explaining everything to everyone kind of down there on the line and letting them know what the handlers and dogs were looking at to make it a a more enjoyable experience for maybe our viewers that aren't as familiar with the rules. So uh, congrats to you for sure on um On uh, doing such a great job on that uh, telecast for us
2: well thank you I mean I I actually enjoyed it more than I realized I I would Um, I just I guess coming from a a background of knowing what's going on and knowing what it's like to be a handler up there it gives me a, a different insight into you know what the handlers are going through what the what the dogs are thinking and doing out there and I just I loved explaining it and giving people that 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 you know explanation of what's going on right then if they're not familiar with the game or not familiar with the terminology trying to explain everything and and giving background on the handlers because when you can really know them as a person and know that dog it's not just an actor up there it's an actual person and all the hard work and and time is put into that it lets you uh kind of cheer for for each and every one of them as they go up there
1: yeah man it was definitely a a great addition and i know we'll, we'll probably continue to do it in future years as well um let's take it back a bit so you've been a a dog handler for for quite some time now just tell us a little bit about you you know uh when you first started working with dogs and and you know at what point in your life did you decide maybe this is what i want to do for a profession
2: (laughs) well you know i grew up in central texas and of course dove hunting is something we do a lot of um i grew up with a couple of black labs and quite honestly i I swore when i met my wife and we got married i said i'll never have another lab I, i just I had them all my life growing up. It's the last thing I wanted. I actually, our first animal as a, as a husband and wife was a cocker spaniel. And then we got a Japanese Akita and, uh, you know, a Labrador retriever was the farthest thing from my mind, but, uh, got to know some people at work while I was going through school and they took me duck and goose hunting for the first time. And I thought this is kind of like dove hunting. This is really enjoyable, especially when you got a, a really nice dog. So, um, lo and behold, I went out and got a lab and the rest is
1: history. What year did you professionally become a, a dog trainer? So
2: I was going to school at Texas A&M, and I graduated with a wildlife and fisheries degree and was looking for work and just couldn't find anything. I had worked while going through school, but I had not worked in my profession. So I didn't have a kind of a foot in the door, so to speak. Um, so couldn't get even an interview or a phone call back. So I went back and got my master's degree. Well, while I'm getting my master's degree, my wife and I were having kids. We had our second kid while I was getting my master's and my third was born right when I finished up my master's degree. And during that time, I was really getting involved heavily in the dog thing. And here comes uh, an opportunity to be a dog trainer. Um, it was 2002 in a, a place called Triple Crown Dog Academy outside of Austin was looking for a retriever trainer. And I had never worked professionally. I had trained some some dogs for some friends of mine and stuff like that, but but not truly a professional uh you know eight to five kind of situation so um but i thought what the heck i'm gonna throw my name in the hat let's see what happens and um they called me back right away and i mean within two weeks i had moved out there and six weeks later my wife we we sold our house we packed up the kids and the everything and moved over there and i told her i said we're gonna we're gonna see how far this thing goes if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen if it does I mean, uh, you know, this is a dream and if it if it's meant to be, it'll happen and if it won't, you know, it's not going to happen and it I mean, it just took off. And I think I think honestly my love for animals and then my master's degree was in adult education. So you take my ability to 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 know a dog's behavior and my ability to explain it to an adult. It kind of goes hand in hand with what I do every day.
1: And who were some of the people you looked up to in those early years or kind of helped you along the way?
2: I can remember sitting in in brian texas um i was you know working on my master's degree watching uh espn and the great outdoor games and i was watching stacy west keith allison jerry day chris aiken i mean all the greats and and i thought that is the coolest thing i've ever seen i can't wait to do that actually jeff hennard was actually on there alex washburn all the big names you know and, and i thought that is neat i want to do that someday and um i mean <laughs> As you know, in Georgia last year, Jerry and I, Jerry Day and I got to share the stage together, and that was a dream
1: come true. Yeah, I was just about to actually, when you mentioned Jerry, I was like, let's talk about last year. Just, uh, I mean, talk to me about that experience for you, getting to kind of share that stage with him last year.
2: Well, and Jerry probably doesn't realize this, and I don't know if I've ever even told him, but he's he's an idol to me. He's a mentor for me. Um, I've looked up to him ever since I got into this business, and The first time I ran an SRS was in El Campo. I didn't even make the semifinals. And then the next trip I made was to Loudoun County, Virginia. And uh, Jerry was there with Nike. And I had brought Jazz, um, one of my my big dogs. And she ended up in third place. Jerry didn't make the semis. And I I remember from Jerry's podcast that uh, that's when he knew something was wrong with Nike. She died shortly after that event. But being there at that event with Jerry, we actually met uh, uh, at Stacy West's place. Me, Stacy West, and Jerry did a little pre-training together, and then drove up to the event, which was like a five-hour drive. And we were caravanning together, and we had walkie-talkies in the truck. and And I just sat there and listened to story after story that Jerry told, and and it just it was the most surreal moment for me to realize I am here. I am talking to this guy that is seen and done everything. And and I'm a part of this. Isn't this cool? So that Jerry doesn't know how much that event affected me and he's probably going to hear it now, but, uh, that, that Loudoun County Virginia SRS was the moment that, uh, changed my life.
1: Why did you, what, what attracted you to the SRS? I mean, you just said that that moment changed your life entering that event. So, um, what about it in those early days where you're like, okay, this is something I want to compete in. What was it that attracted you? I think the, the
2: my favorite thing about the SRS and Shannon Nardi has this nailed. I mean, she knows how to draw people into this by really showing the relationship between the dog and the handler. And that to me is what drew me into the SRS. I, I watched Chris Aiken and Boomer, um, Jerry Day and Nike. I watched all these greats and their teamwork and their ability to communicate through any scenario that the judge was able to throw at them. was was what drew me in there because I wanted to have that dog that was like my teammate and and I could depend on them and they could depend on me. And that's what the SRS does. You never know every series what you're going to run up against and you as a, you have to be able to adjust and and communicate as a team in order to be able to be successful. And I just love that teamwork aspect. You never know what you're going to get and you, you work on it together and you do the best you can.
1: Let's talk about some of your original teammates, Jazz, Ike, and Buzz from the early years. What kind of dogs were they? How did they differ? How did your approach to the dogs differ when you went up to the line with each of them and just kind of their personalities? Well, so, so
2: back in the day, back then, the SRS was not what it is today. It's changed a lot. The tests have changed a lot. Back then, my ability to be successful depended on the other dogs blowing up. I was kind of that, that horse in the back of the pack. And I was just waiting for that moment to, to for the, the lead horse or lead dog to make a mistake. And that's when I was going to come up and hard charging as fast as I could. And that's where my strength played in the fact that my dogs rarely blew up. Now I'm I'm not saying they were perfect. They never did perfect jobs, but I could rely on them, you know, to hang in there after I've blown 20 whistles they're still working with me and they're still believing that I I'm telling them what's right where some of these dogs you know after about seven or eight whistles the dog starts going I don't think you know what you're talking about so I'm going to start doing my own thing and when those dogs go solo you know it blows up like like uh I've heard some of the other people on your podcast talk about you know it just blew up pieces went everywhere um I relied on that hoped you know not hoping a competitor would fail but hoping that an opportunity would present itself where I could come up with my teamwork skills and make a big move.
1: How has the game changed over the years? You said it was a bit different back then than it is now. Maybe for those who who follow it now but didn't follow it back then, what's changed the most?
2: Well, it's gone through quite a lot of evolutionary changes. Um, you know, originally it was a a handling sport. It was about teamwork and it was about you know the dog being able to handle on marks and handle on blinds and a lot of stuff going on, and you had to be able to work through those issues. And then I, I think now what it's become more is we've centered a lot of the series on specific abilities of the dog. We have a field trial series. This is the, 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 the event or the series that defines which dog is the best at doing a straight-up field trial. Back in the day, we didn't have a defined field trial series or a defined this or a defined that. You can never know what you're going to get each series. So it's, it's better for the, for the overall sport, I would say, because you're testing the true super retriever, the dog that can do every event. Um, but in a way, you know, we got a lot of slack years and years ago because everybody said an SRS dog couldn't mark, that they just knew how to handle. They, they were just good at handling. And that's not what it is today. There are, there are very, very good, tough marking setups that show the ability of an SRS dog to mark. So I, I would say the biggest change is this, you know back then we were we were a handling team and now you have a marking and a handling team together.
1: And you've been instrumental in that change. I mean you're you're on the SRS rules committee, you're a board member and I think most competitors have a a general understanding of what that means. I mean you're you're one of the votes that determines okay what rules do we change from year to year what How are we going to change scoring? What are we going to do? You know, what are we going to keep? What do we need to change? What do we need to reevaluate? But what's that actual process like for you and the, and the other members of the rules committee, how often do y'all meet, you know, how do y'all make the determinations and then how do you disseminate that information out to the competitors that, Hey, in 2021, you know, this rule may be different than it was in 2020.
2: Yeah. And, and this whole board thing has been just, it's been the best thing ever for the sport. And I know, You know, every each and every one of us board members wants what's best overall for the SRS. We want it to survive. We want it to prosper. Um, Shannon had her hands full. She had a lot going on and she needed some help. She needed someone with that firm. uh, They put their foot down and be firm about it and said, we're not going to accept this. We're not going to tolerate this or that. And now she's got, you know, seven members that say, hey, Shannon, we got your back. You know, we're going to stand firm on this rule. We're not going to budge on it. And it's taken some time for people to see that the the backbone of the SRS has become a lot stronger than it was. Um, it's it's a solid team of people now that care for the sport and do what's best for it. Um, you know, <clears throat> the big rule change that, that happened this year and it was huge. It was something that had not been done since the beginning of the of the sport over twenty years ago, and that was we defined or, or uh, I'm sorry we we penalize heavier for a dog that handles on a mark. And it goes with what I just said earlier about how we're trying to test marking dogs. There's been talk for many years that a dog that handles on a mark and, and a dog that marks correctly, there's not much that delineates between the two of them. Well, we went from a 10 point penalty back then to now a 20 point penalty. We doubled the penalty for handling on a mark and it is, it has been Neat to see this year because a lot of people now don't necessarily want to blow that whistle quite as fast as they used to because it's a little heavier hit to your score. So it's allowed the dogs to truly mark the bird. And if a handler knows their dog is not marking it, then um, they better be quick and blowing that whistle because you're not only going to get the points for wandering and hunting, and then you blow a whistle and you get the points for a penalty. So it can be, you know, you can go 50, 60, 70 points on a mark just like that.
1: So the roadie bests of the world can sit there and watch everybody else blow up is the more they blow that whistle, they get those 20 points. And oh. guys like you were like, Hey, my, my slow but steady dog might win this race. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think there is some, but, but also, I mean, you know, I was not afraid to blow a whistle back then because I knew my dogs would work with me nowadays. I'm not as, you know, super quick to blow that whistle necessarily because it's going to hurt so bad when I do. Yep, that makes sense.
1: The sport's been around for over 20 years. You've been involved in the sport, uh, not necessarily with the dogs, you've been involved much longer than that, but with Super Retriever Series specifically for for almost 20 years. So what's kept you involved with this particular organization and this particular sport for so long?
2: Well, you know, I've played most all of the hunt test games. I've I've ran, you know, AKC hunt tests since the mid nineties. I've run HRC hunt tests since the mid nineties. I've run a few field trials. Um, you know, my kennel doesn't specialize with field trials. Um, we're more of a hunt test and hunting dog, gun dog top kennel. Um, but I, I think what draws me to the SRS is just the ability to not define yourself in just one category. You can literally take a dog and have to do something different with it every day. And that, you know, getting my age, the older I get, it gets harder and harder to be motivated. But when I have a situation where I know an SRS is coming up and they could throw 50 different things at me every morning, I'm thinking of a new thing I need to work on that I might see at the SRS, you know, and, and at last year's crown, uh, you know, I had a dog in the crown, um, but it, it blew up in my face right out of the gate in the first series. And, um, uh, I had a dog named Ace, and she had won the event at Georgia with Jerry, an older dog, um, nine and a half, almost 10 years old at the time. And uh, we had to get in the boat and then watch two marks and then kick your dog off and run a blind instead of picking up either one of those marks. Um, I I wouldn't call it gambling. I I assumed, I made an assumption that Ace was going to get out of the boat if I said back and as soon as i said back and she turned around and looked at me i knew we were in trouble i mean i knew she said something this is you're something's going on i'm not comfortable with this scenario and the judges gave us two chances to get him out of the boat well i'm 50% down now i've got one last chance what do i do do i say her name do i say back And honestly, I was so shook up. I can't remember what I said. If I said ace or back, but it didn't work. She didn't get out of the boat. And I think I was only one of a couple of handlers that were unable to get my dog out of the boat. And that was a big pill to swallow. You know, I had to walk up to the the boat and kick her off and take a 50-point penalty right out of the gate. And she ended up running that blind. I mean, perfect. She got 13 points on the blind, which would have put us in first place. And with the 50-point penalty it put us way back in the pack. So that was very hard for me to see that, you know, and, that, and, it, and it goes to what we what were talking about just a second ago was, you know, I guess I didn't train on that specific scenario, but uh, it's motivated, motivated me since then to try and be prepared for anything. And, and it doesn't matter if I'm going to send them remote by my side, you know, I, I've tried now. It, it just further motivated me to, to work even harder.
1: You bring up an interesting point. What's that moment like for a handler, either on either end of the spectrum? Either, man, my dog's nailing this, right? Like maybe that you're up there at the line and you see that they see every mark, or you send them on a blind and and they're responding to you, and you're like, man, my dog is killing this. Or the the flip side of the coin, when you're like you said right there, Ace looked back at you and you thought, man, we're in trouble, like. Mm-hmm. What's the euphoria like when you're like, my dog is in the zone today and can't be beat. And what's it like when you're like, oh man, my dog has no idea what's going on right here. And this is, this is not going well.
2: Yeah. And I was, I remember listening to Steven's podcast with you a while back and he was talking about how he went in with a plan and how quickly that plan had to change. And that's exactly what happened there. I mean, She is one of the best blind running dogs. In fact, that's what put us in first place in Georgia. Going into a third series, the judges had a very narrow boundary on this blind. And I was able to keep her in the boundary and not get a single point for being outside the boundary. And it propelled us from like 12th into first place. And so I was very confident going into the crown when I saw we had this blind. I could run poison bird blinds, you know, in my sleep with her. She was that good at it. And man, that, that just, that run him out of that boat was just enough to knock us backwards on our heels and try to figure out, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And, and you, you know, everybody's watching, you know, everybody's going, oh no, he didn't get her out of the boat. What is he going to do? What is he going to, you know, and everybody's just going, what's going to happen next? And I mean, you just, you just scramble to go, what do I do? Do I say ace? Do I say back? I mean, I don't want 50 points. Oh man, I don't know. And so, um, I mean, you, you, at that point after that series we were in such a position that the only way for me to make any ground was to go for it all in the second series and we had a big field trial set up um, that she's good at but when we got there the conditions were not favorable the wind when I ran the wind was not good the dogs couldn't hear the whistle from that far away and um, I had to let her just hunt and, and I couldn't blow a whistle because she couldn't hear it she's almost 10 years old anyway and um, you know it it's just hard watching her in that second series, knowing that was probably the last time I was going to see her ever run an event. You know, she's going to be retired after that at her age. And knowing that um, it all boiled down to that one thing in the first series that went wrong, that throw, totally threw us off our game. And, um, you know, it just, it just happens.
1: We're chatting with Rody Best, longtime competitor here in the Super Retriever Series. Rody, a lot more I want to cover with you, but first – Got to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Yukonuba Sporting Dogs. Give us everything we ask for and then some. Their nutrition should do the same for them. You can find out more information about Yukonuba at yukonubaSportingDog.com. Also, follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Username: Yukonuba Sporting Dog. you said that uh, you know Ace is retiring now at, at ten years old. Um, looking back on all your time with, with with Ace, with with Jazz, with Buzz, with Ike, with all the dogs in between. What's the best dog you ever ran with? And, and what's the closest you came to, to winning the crown?
2: Now, that that's a very, very easy one for me because I have stood by this my entire career as an SRS handler. There's, you know, a lot of handlers that have gone out and, and bought dogs and bought them for the purpose of running the SRS, trained them, you know, cross-trained them, did whatever they needed to do to get them ready for an SR event. And then became successful. My proudest moment, you know, even with Jazz, I mean, we, when I worked for Triple Crown, Triple Crown bought Jazz when she was about two years old. And um, Buzz was my personal dog. Um, He was a dog that I trained from the get-go. And so he was one of my proudest dogs to run because I had done all his training. But my my best dog ever was Cash. Um, He won back-to-back uh, SRS in page defended his, you know, his, his, his pass or, or win from the year before came back, did it again, proved it wasn't a fluke. And I had cha- trained cash since he was a puppy. And that to me is the greatest achievement as a trainer is to be able to say, no one else put a hand on this dog except for you. Um, and you did all of its work and created that, that, that piece of art. And, and I'm not taking away those that have won with dogs they didn't train, nothing like that. I mean, they're, those they're great handlers. But to me, I take greater pride in being a great trainer in being able to build a dog from scratch and see it turn out and blossom into something like that. There's just no greater feeling than knowing that I was the, the factor that made that dog who it is today.
1: Man, chill bumps. Yeah, for sure. You, you're the one that, that put in all the hours with that dog, not not multiple people over multiple time, but it was all you. Mm-hmm. You're not just a great trainer. You're a great mentor. A few years back, uh, Luke Core came to your best retriever uh, kennel, and Luke has been just on fire, man, since he joined uh, the Super Retriever Series. You know, he's crown champion. Uh, How would you first get to know Luke and just talk to us about you mentoring him and kind of passing that torch to him to now kind of be the – the front runner in terms of, of being the, the next generation of handlers that people go, okay, that's the guy I got to, got to pay attention to.
2: Well, I, I got to tell, you know, an honest story, David, I got to go back to when I first met Luke. And I don't know that many people know this story. I was running an AKC hunt test on a weekend and I had run a master uh, one of the master series showed up, ran some dogs. And I saw this young skinny kid watching and he was wearing like a uh, starched Cowboy jeans, boots, and and a button up cowboy shirt, and I it just stood out because that you know we don't see that kind of dress attire at a hunt test, and just kind of walked by him and went back to my trailer, did my thing, and, and in an event I'm usually I try to keep with you know to myself as much as possible because I got a job to do. And I don't want to be distracted and, and you know, not be paying attention when I need to be paying attention. So I didn't say much to him. I may have nodded and said hello or something, but went back to my truck and I went over to Junior and ran the Junior event. And here's this skinny kid in, in cowboy jeans and cowboy shirt watching. And, you know, I thought that's kind of weird. It feels like he's following me. <laughs> so uh, I went back over to the master to run the next series. And here he is again. And I'm like, you know, I got I feel like I just need to talk to this guy. So I went over and introduced myself, which I never do. I mean, I just, I don't, I'm not an outgoing person. Usually I don't go talking to people I don't know. But for whatever reason, I thought I should go talk to this guy. So we started talking and he told me he was from Bryan College Station, which is only an hour from me. He was a, a college student and he was getting interested in the sport and he had driven two and a half hours to this event just to watch. So I, you know, I explained to him what was going on, tried to make him feel comfortable. And I said, Hey, Leo, look me up. If, uh, you know, you want to come out and train some time or something, just give me a shout. So I, I didn't see him again. And I think the next week I heard from him, he, he contacted me and said, he'd like to come out and, and he came out and he, he brought this dog Colt, which, uh, Luke won, uh, an event, an SRS with Colt. But, uh, at the time Colt was just a puppy. He was less than a year old. And Luke's running him in, in my setup, and the dog's terrible. I mean, and I'm trying to be nice, but the dog has a super slow sit whistle, zero respect, zero line manners at the line. The dog was just a crazy dog, and um, he he come off the line. You could tell he's pretty proud. He thought he had impressed me, and uh, you know, I politely told him we got to work on a few things. Why don't you keep coming out and let's keep training, and we'll work on these things. And so. You know, I didn't bust his bubble. I didn't, you know, want to deflate his balloon or anything. But, I, but I knew that this kid had a long ways to go before, you know, what he, his standard of what was good was going to have to change. So um, I actually went on vacation for spring break and I asked him, "Hey, you want to come up and clean kennels and kind of learn the routine?" He said, "Sure." So he starts. He comes up and works that whole week, and I mean, it just kind of snowballs from there. And he starts coming out more and more. And I said, "Hey, you want a job? You know?" Well, he lived an hour away, but he would drive an hour every morning and work all day and then go to drive an hour home and go to class, college at night and never blink an eye. I mean, he was just, he was so eat up by it that he would do anything. It didn't matter if he had to drive four or five hours, he would have done it. And you talk about dedicated and focused and committed. I have never met a person in my sport more dedicated or committed than him. Um, they they just don't make him like him anymore. There's just not many people out there like that. So, um, you know, anyway, um, but but catching up to current, you know, he's worked for us now for seven years. And a, a few years back through four years ago, he expressed a desire to start running the SRS. And um, he got to watch me win two in a row with cash. He got to watch me win an event at Penn Oak with a dog named Ike, the second Ike, not the first Ike. Um, and so, you know, at that time I I just, I kind of lost the desire to, to go out and run these all the time and travel. It's tough. It's really hard to be on the road all the time and gone. And I said, you know what, this guy, he's got all this, you know, focus and intensity about him. He wants to go run this event. I'm gonna let him do it. I'll stay home, you know? So I said, Hey, you know, here's these dogs go have fun. And I said, you know, if you like it, keep doing it, keep training some dogs for it. I'll, I'll be okay with that. You know, I've had my time in the light. I've, you know, had a good run at it. I'm not afraid to step down and let somebody else have it. So we trained every day together. I coached him on what to look for, and and he, boy, he poured his heart and soul into it. And he trained weekends. He trained super long days on it. And, um, I mean, he's a testament. I can take some credit for helping him get to that point but he is the reason why he is so good because he has the commitment, the desire, the, the the work ethic that nobody else has, you know, his age. And that's what makes him successful.
1: Sky's the limit for him.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, at some point he's going to enter a stage in his life where he's going to start settling down and wanting a family and stuff. And he's going to have to figure out where he's going to, sit in the whole thing, you know, is he going to keep running the road like this? Or is he going to have to ease back and train somebody to take his place? You know, um, I still enjoy running a few of them. I sure I'm sure he'll forever want to run a few of them. I don't think he'll ever give it up. You know, I think he enjoys it that much, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there'll ever be another person like him come along in my lifetime, you know, for us, for best retrievers, there's just, there's just not many people like him.
1: Well, he learned from a master as well. Um, you mentioned that, you know, now is his time to kind of be out on the road and, and, and you'd like to be home more. Certainly understandable, still running a few events, but but not like you used to. So what's the future hold for for Roadie Best specifically? Well,
2: you know, we've had long talks about it. Is You know, anybody that's had a successful trainer work for them for very long knows that the option of leaving that kennel and starting their own business is, is always a possibility. And we've had a lot of long talks with Luke about it and we want to make sure we do right by Luke. He's done right by us. Um, and, and so far at this point, Luke's committed to stay. And none of my kids really have an interest. They're all grown up and now and out of the house and none of them really have that desire to to do it. Um, and I never pushed it on them when they were young. I, I told them, you know, if you want to do it, it's there. If you don't, you don't have to pick, live your own life. You know, don't follow in my shadow. And I don't think any of my three are going to be you know, retriever trainers or ever be a handler or a trainer. So they know and Luke knows that this is his. If he wants best retrievers, it's his for the taking. So that's kind of um, the way, the direction that it's looking. And I'll slowly fade out over time and, and take less and less dogs. Um, I don't think I'll ever, and Luke will say this and laugh, I don't think I'll ever get out of it totally. I enjoy it too much. Um, I just enjoy building a dog from scratch. There's just nothing more satisfying than taking this little puppy and make it into something down the road. And all the years and years, that that's what people don't understand when they watch us at these events. They think, man, I can go out and start training my dog every evening and get them to that point. We have spent years getting these dogs ready for this. A, a, A bang won last year's crown championship he's eight or nine years old. I mean, he's been in training his whole life to get to that point. So, you know, it's a long road and it takes a long time to get there. So, I mean, at some point I'm going to be, I've had clients come to me and say, Hey, you know, you train my dog. I'm, I'm probably getting to the point where I only have another one, maybe two dogs left in my lifetime. So, and I'm going to get to that point someday, you know, and, and I got to decide where that line is at what point, you know, I looked up to Bill Autry. He's one of my Bill Autry and Jerry day are my two mentors. And um, those guys are in their seventies and eighties. So I guess I still got 20 or 30 years, but you know, there's going to come a point where I'm going to have to hand it over to Luke and say, it's yours.
1: Yeah, man. Absolutely. Understandable. Who's a up and coming dog that y'all are training at best retrievers that maybe, you know, people are aware of or maybe they aren't maybe maybe one of the younger dogs that you're like you know if things keep going on the trajectory they're going right now this dog could could be one that a few years from now could compete for a crown championship
2: well um luke string he's been on he's been running a pretty good string now for a couple years um he's got some nice ones that he's been running here so no new surprises there um i haven't really debuted any of my young ones necessarily yet but i've got a couple of super nice ones that are coming out slow. They they've done well in the last few SRS destiny and Maggie. Um, but my my little superstar that I have a lot of hope for is a dog named Kaizen. And, um, he has just shown an incredible ability at his age. He was my youngest master hunter ever. He passed the master national at barely two and a half. And, um, I mean, every day in training, he just surprises me by the stuff he can do for his age. So hopefully we can continue to develop him. He's, you know, obviously very strong in the, in the hunt test game, but he's got a long ways to go in the field trial game. And you've got to be a balanced dog to play that SRS. So we've got some, some work to do on his field trial side, but, um, there isn't a dog I'd be scared to to run him against in in a hunt test. He'd, uh, he'd challenge anybody any day.
1: I wrote that one down, Kaizen. Uh,
2: right.
1: what's your 2020, uh, SRS trial schedule look like? I know you said you're not going to do as much this year. Sorry, 2021. Uh, You know, COVID happens and we all lose an entire year of our life. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let me try that again. What does your 2021 uh, SRS trial schedule look like? Where can people see you competing and then hopefully qualify for the crown?
2: Well, we're pretty much wrapped up. Um, You know, unfortunately, uh, the summer is too hot in Texas for us to run much. So, We've got an event in Louisiana, I believe Luke's gonna run. I'm pretty much, I think I'm to the point where I'm done. He's got all of his dogs qualified that he wanted to get qualified except for one or two. And so I think he's gonna run my string for me and try to um, you know beef up his string and, and and then go run and see what happens. There's no need in us both going and competing against each other. So I'm gonna let him take my dogs and run and, and um, we'll just kind of have to see. There's only really one event left on our schedule for this year and then the crown i think he's got three or four qualified for the crown which i'll be there to commentate on so looking forward to it
1: looking forward to seeing you there man before we let you go our podcast since you always listen to it you are familiar final five questions which isn't fair because you probably ought to have answers to all of them <laughs> uh number one what's something about you most people don't know
2: um i would have to say that i'm a huge bow hunter i don't know that many people know how much um bow hunting i do but i enjoy it i've really gotten in the last few years and it's pretty much all I do anymore. I enjoy it for the challenge that it is and the, um, the fairness that it is to me to, to, you know, I got to be right there in their backyard. So just being that close to them is exhilarating.
1: Yeah. Imagine man. That's, that's too, I mean, just, wow. Yeah. Bow hunting is another, another level for sure. Something I found out about you that I didn't know today was that you have a master's in adult education. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, when I say retriever, who's the first dog that comes to your mind and why it can be one of your dogs or someone else's dogs?
2: I would have to say Boomer, Chris Aikens Boomer. That dog in the day was unbelievable, was consistent as they come. Um, I don't even hear many people talk about him in, much anymore, but that dog was just, I mean, I i, I had to run against him all the time. and uh, And he was not only a competitive dog, but a hunting dog and a family dog. I mean, that dog did everything.
1: If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would it be?
2: I would say a sportsman. I I, I believe in being truthful, honest, fair, just. You know, just. I, I just I enjoy being the, the 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 sportsman of the event. I don't want to be the 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 you know, the, the non, I don't know how to explain it. the non-sportsman, I don't want to, you know, ever throw a temper tantrum in front of, in front of people or get mad or upset. I always try to control myself and be a professional at the line and inspire others to do the same.
1: Every story needs a hero and every story needs a villain. You don't have to be the villain. There's plenty of them out there. You can be the hero. You can be the good guy. Uh, question four, what profession other than your own, would you like to attempt?
2: Oh, wow. Oh gosh. I've always, and this isn't really a profession, this is more of a hobby, but it, okay. I've always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. That sounds weird. I am getting, I think I'm getting too old to do it now, but uh, I dreamed when I was growing up of being out and hiking and backpacking the Appalachian Trail. Maybe I'll get to do a piece of it someday.
1: Yeah, man. I had a friend that did the whole thing. Well, I had a friend's kid who did the whole thing, and the guy was like 21 in an excellent shape. He did the whole thing, took him several months. And he'd send his dad pictures every once in a while, like whenever they'd go into town, you know, they'd, like they'd hike the mm-hmm. trail, then they'd have to go in and get some supplies and then they'd go back on the trail. And I just kept remembering how much, it looked like he was losing weight, but also how much larger his leg muscles were getting, oh, yeah. right? So by the end, the dude maybe lost 20 pounds, but it looked like he also gained 20 pounds in pure leg muscle. And I was like, man, that's a lot of walking. That's a, that's a lot of hiking. But he did the whole thing from like Georgia
2: all the way up. So, well, and see, I've got bad knees. I, I've from dog training, the dogs running into me and slamming into me, uh, torn meniscus in both knees. So mm. I've had surgery to repair that. And I don't know that my knees can hold up, but who knows?
1: Who knows, man? Plenty of time to try it. All right. Final question for you. You have a weekend to yourself. There's no dog games to compete in. Nothing from work. Your wife hadn't given you a honey do list like go cut the grass. How are you spending that day? <laughs>
2: This is an easy one for me because there's nothing I love doing more than hunting. I, I would find something to hunt. Definitely.
1: Awesome. Perfect answer for our final question there with Rhodey best. Rhodey, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this is one of the podcasts I've been looking forward to when I knew you were the next one on the docket. I was like, man, I always love talking to Rody So I, re- I really appreciate your time today. And, and hopefully our listeners, uh, found out something about you. They didn't know today. Also maybe got some, some tidbits from me about training and, uh, you know, are, we're all the wiser now after getting to spend the last, you know, forty or so minutes with you. Thanks, man.
2: Oh, I enjoyed every minute of it. Thanks, David. All right, have a good day. You too.